Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Going and welcome to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Jesse Marsh. And boys, today I think I kind of want to call the show a Nottingham Forest podcast. We're talking a lot about forests and never thought that would come out of my mouth. But Jesse, what do you want to call the show? Because you can call it whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I, I my, my first feeling when we talked about this is I thought people were going to call us what they wanted, right? <laughs> Which well, we, all know, we all know how that can go. We all know how that can go. But yeah, I would I would have only complimentary things to say about you guys, okay? If I were the one <laughs> making comments, I just want to make that well known. Okay? I love that. I love that. Charlie, what do you want to call the show today? Uh, you tell me. You give me that magic word because I've been waiting since you brought it up in the pre-production meeting. Like I... I honestly can't wait for you You've to drop. crushing it. I'm ready to go. I'm going to give you the word of the day in this in a second. Don't worry on that. But we have a big show, everybody. We are talking about some of the best bits of business in the January transfer window. We're talking Americans abroad, of course. And uh, we got some transfer news overall about one particular player named Gio Reyna. But first, we're going to get into our call it what you want word of the day. And are you guys ready for this? Because obviously you can call it soccer or football or ball or whatever it is. But we're coming up with one. Now, I need you to identify which language or Jeez. which country this is from. And the word is Wutzball. Ooh. Ooh I, I, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. I think we should do it together, Charlie. I just think we should do a one, two, three and say it at the same time. Okay. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Austria. Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> You waited. You were supposed to. You waited. You're supposed to say Dutch. Yeah. Jesse Marsh is correct. Well done, Jesse. <laughs> yes. Oh. yes. I didn't even need to give you a clue on that oh, one, but just for you know, Dutch else. is a little. It's a little like German. It's a little similar. So I knew I was in the right area. area. God. Yeah. <laughs> Austria. You can yeah. say that every Austria. time. I'm in the right area somewhere. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, one of the clues was only one team from Europe's top five leagues has a manager from this country. Uh, that was one. And then each European Cup final from 1969 to 1973 featured a team from this country. And that was Ajax. And Feyenoord actually what was the first, won one. What was the first clue? The first one was uh, only one team from Europe's top five leagues has a manager from this country. Ah. Uh-huh. Who is that? <laughs> He's under a lot of turmoil and stress right now, Jesse. Tenag. Eric. Tenag. Ten. Yes. Ten. Well done. Hog. All right. Let's get into the show then. And I already teased it a little bit, but uh, Gio Reyna is in the middle of a transfer saga and right now he's being linked to Nottingham Forest, Sevilla and Marseille and Edin Tursich, the manager at Borussia Dortmund also saying hey I expect him to be available on Friday which means he's not going to be sold at all mm-hmm. he's getting some uh some would say garbage minutes for Borussia Dortmund they won against Bochum 3-1 this past weekend so Jesse I'm going to come to you first say he goes to Nottingham Forest and plays for Nuno Espirito Santo where does he fit now I know they got a lot of injuries right now but do you actually let, maybe I'll back it up do you think he could help that club? Yes, I think he could definitely help Nottingham Forest. Um, it's not when I was talking about the kind of football that I'd like to see Gio play. That's probably the opposite. Um, and they would, <laughs> I, I guess, probably, you know, they use their front three players a lot as big transition players. They like to defend a little bit deeper and then and then catch you on transition a little bit more. You know, Gio could be good in these situations. Obviously, the league would be a step up for him, so that that part would be good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can I can see the interest being real, and and, and you know, I, I think some clubs in the January window, if they don't have a ton of cash surplus, they go out for loan players. So that's maybe where Gio would be, maybe a loan to buy or a loan situation for now. So, yeah, let's see what happens with that. Chuck, when I think about Nottingham Forest, they've scored a lot of goals under Nuno Espirito Santo. I think they're averaging more than two goals a game. And under Steve Cooper, they were basically one per game. So they're doing it on that side of the ball. And though Gio could could complement potentially how he sees that moving forward. But he's going to have some competitions, uh, competition, excuse me, for for spots, especially when Ilanga comes back and Awaniyi comes back into the team. Uh, I think that Gibbs White has been excellent as well. So they, they have obviously some attacking options. My fear is that if he goes there, he might just be sitting on the bench watching these players play. Because to Jesse's point, it's going to take a little bit to adapt to this new rhythm and, and a new team and a new style. Well, I think another portion of, of this conversation that's probably really critical in making a decision like this is where in the table are these teams? And so when you talk about breaking in and, and getting time, Sevilla is 16th. They've been they haven't won in five games in the last five games. It's been very difficult to to you know think of Sevilla as a, a place to go and be settled in when you're you're battling relegation. Brent uh, Nottingham Forest they're in 16th in the Prem. We know how difficult it is to stay in the Premier League and the expectations with every match. There's no time to settle in at any of these places. And and then if you throw in Marseille. They're on the outside looking in Liga in terms of trying to get to a Champions League There's spot. Seven. So yeah, mm-hmm. but you know they just tied Monaco. They they you feel like okay they they came back in. They were down uh, twice and they came back. They leveled the score two two. But again, it, I don't know if you you'd break into to that midfield with Veratu, Kondogbia, and then Onana. So you, you 
you're trying to figure out where where is he playing? Is he playing in an advanced role in midfield as a number 10 if the teams are playing a 4-3-3 or playing with five in the midfield? Or is he playing as a as a winger that's inverted? And I think we've all come to, to an agreement he's better centrally and in more advanced position where you're not asking him to get box to box. So I don't think any of these three clubs are the right fit for him per se, given his skill set. So ultimately, I'd rather stay at Dortmund and, and chase the Champions League and chase a, a top three spot than go to any of these places that are battling relegation. The, to me, these are all places just to get out, as, a, as in the Dortmund uh, position is so bad that you just want to move, a move away. I like where your rhetoric is going, because when you are a team that is in desperation mode, the the willingness and desire to potentially settle the ball and play becomes a little bit more difficult and obviously Jesse can speak to this uh, quite well but but what I find interesting about Marseille is that maybe there's a team there or situation there where he could really add in a different way than Dortmund Dortmund it seems like the decision's been made by Edin Terzic that that there isn't room for him yeah, he's moving surplus. forward yeah he's surplus it's it's they're not going to rely on him and give him that responsibility that maybe he's looking for and and whether or not he's earned it we don't know right we're not there every day in training but I would say at Marseille, there's something different. Maybe getting a getting into a new league, getting a breath of fresh air and, and a new situation. We've seen it with, with Christian Pulisic in particular. Has really thrived with AC Milan. And may, maybe Gio could use that as well. And, and Marseille could be that nice stepping stone where it's not the pressure of relegation, but it gives them a chance to be in a league where they can be fighting and playing against some good competition week in and week out as he tries to reestablish his confidence in being an everyday player. I think Marseille maybe feels like the best chance to make that happen. I don't know if it's the right fit tactically. I'd like to hear Jesse's thoughts on it overall, but... But uh, in terms of situations, the relegation zone doesn't seem as fun. Yeah. So first, I know Pablo Longoria. He's the sport director at Marseille. And I know Victor Orta from my time with Leeds. And he's, he's the flexing sport on director us, Jesse. Yeah, here. here comes. Charlie's yeah. flexing on us. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, both, both sport directors I know like young players and like to play dynamic football. Um Sevilla is a little handcuffed right now on how they can play specifically because they don't have a lot of, uh, of uh, finances and they've got a really old team in the back, right? So it's a little bit harder for them to play the dynamic football that maybe they would like to play. Marseille, I think, has potential um, to, to become a, a, a player in Liga. And I think the idea of Gio going to a place like that, Obviously, Marseille's fans are incredibly passionate, and it's a mm -hmm. fierce place, a fierce club to go to. Um, but I think if you're Geo, you've got to be thinking, how do, how do I get myself now regularly on the pitch so I can really get my career back on track? And then whether it's a loan to buy or he uses the loan even as just a platform to show that he can now perform at the level that we all believe that he can. And, and then maybe he has interests in the summer from some other clubs um, that that give him a, a big chance to to really get his career back on track. So I think that has to be the strategy right now. And I do believe that Marseille has a winner, has a good club. They have they have good players. They have the the ability to play good football, and and they're right on the cusp right now of European football in in Ligue 1. So I I think that could be a good place for him. The only thing I would add, Jimmy and Jesse, is that if you're taking a a step back, let's say from a Dortmund. You're not going a step back to an uncertainty. I think if you're going a step back, it's almost a guarantee. This is the spot. 
you, myself, Jimmy, we can all look at the team and say, this is exactly where he's going to fit. Because those three teams, you can't, you can't tell me this is where he's going to fit. This is his position. I feel like if you're going to take a step back for him at his stage and his development, how his career has already been, that it's got to already be set in stone that this is the position he's going to play and these are the expectations and you fulfill. And if you fulfill them or not, at least you're going to have the opportunity to do that. I couldn't tell you on either of those teams that he's a he's a for sure going to walk into that team and play given that mm-hmm. where they are in their seasons. You have two that are fighting relegation and one that's trying to push for a top four finish. And Frank McCourt, the owner of Marseille, obviously has a vision of, of getting them back to competing with PSG for a league title and being a being as big as that they are uh, as they are in France. That this is a, a team that's pushing on all cylinders to get there. So I, I still feel that there are a number of of other teams he could go to that would be put him in a better position to succeed. I think expectations seem to be not only for us as fans, but for for him in particular. He's only played 330 minutes so far this season, so it's not like. People probably can see the potential, and there's enough of a track record to see how talented he is. But if you haven't been playing regularly, I don't think he's going to walk into any team outside. I guess if he dropped a couple steps, he'd yeah. probably make that happen. So that that to considered. me, that to me is the challenge, right? So Charlie, of course, you would love to see him go to a good team that where he where they feel like he can walk in. But given his that he hasn't always been fit, and that his minutes aren't that he's logged over the course of the season so far, they would have to be just going on the potential and what they've seen of him in the past. Right. So it would always it would this is why some of the relegation clubs are thinking we need a player like Gio to help spark our team to get moving a little bit more so that we don't get caught come come May where we're in need of a result in the last two matches. And maybe if we can get a player on loan that financially fits into our budget, this is the strategy of how they can accomplish their goals for the season. Jesse, don't don't you think this in my mind would make sense if you're in if you're Dortmund? To say, all right, we're going to loan a short-term loan to another Bundesliga club, a club that you know, a league he's very familiar with. Let's say to you look at some of the clubs in the middle, just outside of the top teams. So, so Freiburg, Hoffenheim, Werder Bremen, Heidenheim. You, you could, you could, Frankfurt, Frankfurt sixth, right? So, any of those clubs who were good but not great, where he could most likely play a lot. And he knows the league, the familiarity is there. It's not like you have to adjust or adapt so much as if you go to La Liga or English Premier League. So in a short term. But sometimes if you're Dortmund, if you're Dortmund, you're saying we don't want to give him to a competitor. You know, there's sometimes that that clubs don't like to do loans interleague. And they want if they're going to loan players out, they want to send them to to other other leagues. At at Salzburg, we used to loan out players all the time in Austria, and I would go send them to the second Bundesliga. Stop sending them to our <laughs> rivals in our own league, right? So so that's just a strategy that Dortmund has to figure out, and and then they have to look at the finances, what the situation is. It, it, all these things have to always fit from all the different perspectives. It, it, it was what was unique that we got Weston McKenney. Right. It wasn't easy to pull him out of Juventus and and to get Weston to agree to coming to a club that was in a relegation battle and everything else. Um, but, you know, I was really appreciative that that we made that connection and and that that he came and, and it was unfortunate that we didn't get to work more together. But that's what's going to have to be with Gio. I think it's going to have to be a club that's really interested in him, that still fits with with what Gio's plans are and that Dortmund can say, all right, that makes sense for us, given given the entire contractual situation and where we are with our entire roster. 
Well, what's interesting about Dortmund's perspective is that Edin Terzic reportedly came out and said about these transfer rumors about Gio Reyna, and I quote, Gio is a great player. Of course, he's not happy when he's not playing. Today, we decided to start with the two-striker formation, referencing the Bochum game. And with Gio, you could see that he could still influence the game from the bench. He was very secure with the ball, could play out some good scenes, and he had a bit of bad luck in finishing in one or two situations. In general, we didn't create clear-cut chances as much as we had hoped. We had over 50 ball contacts. I love that. I'm going to steal that whole phrase. 50 ball contacts in the opponent's box, a strong statistic. However, it doesn't help if you're not strong in finishing. We will work on that to improve in the next game. If I'm reading between the lines, Chuck, <laughs> this uh, this feels like if Gio's not scoring, this dude's not playing. And uh, I, you know, what, I, I, I feel like he's that? being held to a different standard maybe than than some of the other players. Jimmy, I don't know. I, I really want to get into that with Jesse. Actually, you know what's really funny about that is he was scoring and he still wasn't playing. He, he, he was coming off the bench and scoring every game and still was on the bench. So read between the lines. He is not first choice at Dortmund. And that's just how it is. And they're bringing more players in. I mean, Jaden Sancho comes in full Krug is, is scoring goals right now for fun for, for Dortmund. So it, it just feels like no matter what he's up against it at Dortmund. And, and just like Christian, we were talking about just needs a change of scenery, a new opportunity, a new manager. I, I think Gio Reyna is, is in the same boat. He needs a, a new project, a new manager that believes in him and is going to give him the opportunity to, to, to uh, fulfill his potential. Now, Jesse, I, I want to kind of piggybacking off of that. I want to ask you about when you have someone like Gio and he's trying to fight to get back into the starting 11. Do you feel like he feels like he needs to be perfect to make that happen? Because if he's going to supplant some of the other players that are already there who are already kind of in a rhythm, and even though they make mistakes, if Gio makes that same mistake when he comes off the bench, it just validates why he's on the bench, right? But if these other guys make mistakes, it's, it's well, it, it's just we got to get them in the flow. They've been in a good rhythm or whatever it is. So, so in some ways, the standards are different from players that come off the bench than the players that are starting, if that makes any sense. I think yeah, does. I mean, <laughs> look, I, we, we spoke, I think, last time about my philosophy with how I deal with the with the team. And often I tell you, I'll spend more time once we start establishing things with the players that aren't playing than I do with the players that are playing. Now, that seems counterproductive in some ways, but I think to have a really healthy environment and make sure that everybody's pushing each other, that, you know, as much as you have to create competition on match day, there's no better competition within a team than, than internal competition to push each other to always be performing, tr be training your best, be professional. Like that, those are the demands when you have a good squad. So, I would say this, listen, Gio came into the game against Köln, okay? And he helped set up the fourth goal for Mukuku. And I thought he had a I thought he had a good game when he came in. Then then they put him in this game. He was the first sub they made at the 66th minute when the when the match was 1-1. Okay? And the match finished 3-1. And Gio doesn't get a goal or an assist, but again, I thought that his performance was was better than average for sure. And so, you know, I think that the fact that that he's being put into this game against Bochum at a, in a really important moment and that he helps the team get the win is only going to bode well for him in terms of the connection and the relationship of what's happening at Dortmund. Now, with Terzic even saying so much in the media about it, there's potential that he may feel or the club may feel that they're already sort of passed and maybe the damage has already been done and maybe Gio's already asked for a transfer. We don't know any of these things, right? They, they have to manage all of this internally. But, but certainly I think that 
you know, you, we even mentioned a few podcasts ago that one of them said on, on Sky 90 that, that the, the sport director said that, that Gio has to give full gas. Well, in the last two games, he comes in and makes an impact. So I think, again, that, that, that speaks very positively about where Gio's at right now. Average to good. You said better than average, but we like to go with average to good here on this show, Jesse. All right, we're going to take our first break of Call It What You Want. When we come back, we're going to do a little recap of the transfer window for the U.S. Men's National Team player pool overall, and then we'll get into our Americans Abroad, and it's just going to be a lot of fun, so don't go anywhere. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to Call It What You Want. I'm Jimmy alongside Charlie and Jesse. And we are excited that you're here with us watching or listening. Now, we're going to get into the transfer window. It's nearing its close here in January. And, uh... I wanted us to each pick a piece of news that we were most excited about or disappointed about or whatever it may be, whatever verb you want to use or, or adjective you want to use to describe it. So so here's your list. Ethan Horvath linked to Cardiff. Okay, there's one for you. MLS rejects Spartak Moscow's $13 million bid for FC Dallas's Jesus Ferreira. Mm. Whoa. Uh, Nico Giacchini completes his move to Como. So from St. Louis to, to uh, Serie B. Johnny Cardoso joining Real Betis. Brandon Vasquez joining Monterey. Kate Cal joining Chivas Guadalajara. Chicharito is now joining him there. Miles Robinson leaving Atlanta United and turning down some offers in Europe to go to FC Cincinnati. We have the Colorado trio of Sammy Vines coming back from Europe. Georgie Mihalovic coming back from Europe. And Zach Steffen coming back from Europe to play for Chris Armas. Kellen Acosta not going back to LAFC. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers signing a new deal with Celtic. Five and a half year contract extension with them. And Orlando rejecting Sheffield Wednesday's bid for Duncan McGuire. So, uh, Jesse, I'll come to you. Who, what, what, uh, which one do you want to talk about? I'm going to go to the last one. Um, you know, I think Duncan McGuire is a player with big potential. Uh, and I know Sheffield Wednesday's not, you know, maybe the marquee club of the championship, but I, it's, a, it's a coach that I know. He was a video analyst, Danny Roll, in, uh, in Red Bull. So at Leipzig, I, I never worked directly with him, but I'm close friends with him. And he was also the assistant with the German national team with Hansi Flick. So he's gone to Sheffield Wednesday, I think really changed the, the whole culture of the way they play and the, of, of the idea of what the club is. I think he's done an amazing job. He plays very, very intensive football. Um, so for me, I think Duncan McGuire would be a perfect fit for that situation. And as much as it may not seem like the sexiest transfer, but still getting your foot in Europe, going to a club where I think his style of play fits with what they're trying to achieve with the team, I think would really give him the opportunity to land in Europe in a place where he can succeed and he can kickstart now his, his development uh, of what it would be like over here. So I was a little bit sad to read that. And I understand Orlando. Orlando has to protect their assets and think about, you know, what the valuation of different players are at, at, at any given time. Um, but I, I would have loved to have seen that transfer. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm curious about the trajectory of Duncan McGuire moving forward and, and obviously taking a step to cut his teeth in a difficult environment uh, would be a nice sink or swim moment for him. How about you, Chuck? What stands out for you? Yeah, and Sheffield Wednesday have been struggling in the championship. So, I mean, that would be a good move in terms of to be a savior, yeah, right? They've, Come they've, in and be the savior. They, they've only scored 22 goals in, in the championship this season. So they're, they're the worst team in terms of scoring goals. 
come in as a striker, that means you're going to play, which, which is a good spot um, to be in. Uh, in terms of stories that I, I really liked is probably Johnny Cardozo. I feel like that one goes mm-hmm. under the radar coming into a strong Betsy's team that is very, very, very much so in the mix for Europe. Um, they're sitting in seventh place in the table. So they're, they're two points behind Real Sociedad uh, for that conference league spot. I, I just feel like that is a, a move where you're, you're launching yourself into a new stratosphere. You're in La Liga, you're in a good team uh, that plays good football and he's getting playing time. He's, he seems like he's settled in really well. So it, it only makes the midfielder midfield for the U S men's national team, which is the strongest part of, of this, this group um, that much more dynamic, having different types of options, players who are comfortable on the ball, who can play out of trouble. If you want to be a possession based team, then you need more possession based midfielders. And that's why I think this, this move is, is fantastic for Cardozo. Yeah. Anyway, also, let, let, Jimmy, sorry, really quick. Let me go, go through the matches that Betis has coming up. Getafe, Cadiz, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, Deportivo Alaves, Zagreb again, and then Athletic Club. So he has a chance to get into a lot of matches, I think, against teams where he can be successful and really establish himself. So I, I'm really, really excited to see his his progress and his performances. And I think this is going to be big for him and for the U.S. national team. I agree with you on that. What I'm One of the most things I'm most excited about with, with his move to Betis is Playing for Manuel Pellegrini. I, I have a lot of respect for him. The guy's a proven winner. He's gone to different areas and for different clubs around the world and, and have had success. And so, Jesse, I kind of wanted to ask you, is Pellegrini, I'm sure you study other coaches and their methodologies and, and get ideas or are inspired by certain things that you're seeing. Has Pellegrini ever hit your radar in that way, uh, given what he's done with his coaching career? Well, I think, you know, when he first, you know, whether you look at when he coached Columbia or a lot of different clubs, Man City, different places he's been at, he hasn't always been the most creative. He's more been more about defensive structure, right, and making sure that you're hard to play against and then finding ways to be good with the ball from there. But when you watch Betis play now, they're different. You know, and I think, again, he's evolved more. They have a lot more ball possession. They have a lot more positional play in the way that they build up. They, they're another team that, that plays against the ball in one formation and shifts a little bit of what they do with the ball to another formation. So this is what I love to see more than anything is managers that like to, like to evolve and like to you know, try different systems and like to continue to push themselves with the teams they have. I mean, you could go down the list, but I remember playing Ancelotti in in Champions League when he was with Napoli and he was playing again. He's flexing again. Fluid, <laughs> again. <laughs> fluid, but he was put the football he was playing was so fluid and how he was using all of his players. And it was like I I because with other teams that I'd watched him before that, he had been very simple with like just having good structure and then letting his creative players do what what they do. But but this was like like really having to study the tactics of what the team. You want was Jimmy doing. to pick that up, or do you want me to pick it up? <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't. Either I, way, it might be too heavy for me to pick up. I, but I'll I think Pellegrini. Finish. Listen, he's older. He might be seventy. Is he seventy? He's yet? seventy. He's actually seventy yeah. years old. Yeah. So, yeah. oh yeah, he's got a lot of experience. What I, I guess what I what I love is that Pellegrini. And they identified Cardoso and said, we, we're willing to trust this player. And I think that is a huge sign of respect. He still has and, the energy, Jimmy. He has the energy. Whatever. Yeah, whatever pills he's taken to have that energy. It's good for him. That's awesome. But uh, sorry, I just took that a whole right turn that nobody was expecting. As, as for me, the, the transfer news or, or some bits of news, because it didn't actually go anywhere. But Cameron Carter-Vickers re-signing with Celtic, I thought, was interesting. 
there are a lot of different ways you can slice that where maybe he resigns so his his transfer fee or whatever is a little bit higher or you know if anybody wants to buy and buy out clause then then Celtic could get more money for him if he, if he ends up leaving i was just hoping at this point that he would maybe start to look away from Celtic and maybe test himself in, in a different league with all due respect to the scottish premiership i think you're getting some good games against Rangers, maybe Aberdeen from time to time. Those away games can be a little chippy, of course. But but and then you're in the Champions League, but they seem to be getting run over recently in that particular competition. And this year in particular, getting crashed out in the in the group stages. I wanted him to see to take that 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 another step. And I thought he warranted. I think he's been doing enough. Ange Potsagoglu said he was the best defender in Scotland. We talked about it uh when Ange was still there, big Ange. But so there's clearly some trust and 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 recognition that he can be a top player and I just want to see if he could cut his teeth in another league that's just a, a, a little bit better so I, I don't say I'm disappointed because I'm sure there might be other factors as to why he re-signed that deal but I was hopeful that he would be maybe looking to make a move here pretty soon I don't know if you guys have anything to add to Cameron Carter Vickers so in Leipzig a lot of times when players would resign it was to introduce a buyout clause into buyout their contract clause. yeah you know and so they would obviously sign for more but then they would create Oatland and then the club and the and the and the player or the agency would agree that in a summer window or this summer window, if we can get this fee, then we'll let the player go. You know, so that because a lot of times like Carter Vickers may not have a buyout clause, in which case he doesn't have the flexibility that he would like to have to choose exactly where he wants mm-hmm, to go and mm-hmm, win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes those contracts get negotiated so that it's a win-win for both sides. And I've seen I've seen that. And when I saw that he resigned, that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, okay, they're 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 creating an end a tunnel, a light at the end of the tunnel for this. And, and he gets paid more per week, I'm sure. So that creates. Have a you win had for a him. player, Jesse? Because I've also seen this in Europe, where there is an understanding about a fee, but the player does exceptionally well. Maybe you know, scores 25 goals instead of the 10 which everyone expected, or you know, the performances go. You know, super positive. We did have a price, but we're going to change. <laughs> well, we had Erling for five, right? And we bought him for five. And then the the bio clause was 20. And at the time you buy a player for five and you go 20, you go, okay, you make four times if we get that. But at the time that we sold him to Dortmund, his valuation was like 60, right? Then another thing I saw at Leipzig a lot was take Upa Meccano. Upa Meccano signed a new contract. If he if they sold him in year one, he had a hundred million buyout clause. If they sold him in year two, he had an eighty. If they sold him in year three, they had a sixty. And it went wow. down. And so then the club had to also think like, okay, we love having Upa. He's making a lot of progress. But the longer we keep him, the more we devalue the asset. And so it's what's our threshold? At what point do we say, okay, now it's time to sell him? You know, so there were a lot of Schoboschlei had a contract a little bit like that. Like, yeah, I mean, so there, it's it's again like if you're a club like Leipzig or Salzburg and you're still a development club or, you know, Leipzig's probably like a second tier club. Salzburg's like a fourth tier club. And then how it fits in with the overall ecosystem of the, the, the levels of clubs in Europe. And how do you attract players and convince them that's the right place to be there for two or three years and they can develop themselves with the kind of football that they're playing and, and the opportunity to play at a high level or in a, in a better league. And then what it can mean for a springboard for them to move forward. And by the way, I don't think anyone did that better than 
Alfie Holland and Erling Holland with what they did when they went from Molda to Salzburg to Dortmund to Man City and maybe next Real Madrid. Maybe. Yeah, there's only one other. I don't know where you go from Man City. I can, yeah, you probably go. Probably I think go to Madrid Real is the, Real Madrid. the only other place you could go to at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's the last yeah. step for him because his national team isn't going to be doing anything anytime soon. All right, everybody, we're going to take our next break of call it what you want. When we come back, we're going to talk about Americans abroad and what our player pool did this relative weekend past week, and it should be a lot of fun because that's what our show is all about. So don't go anywhere. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to Call It What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Chuckwagon Davies and Jesse Marshmallow Marsh. And we are talking a little Americans abroad Got some notable results this past weekend. Brandon Vasquez, who made the big move from FC Cincinnati down to Mexico in Liga MA Keyside Monterey, has scored three goals in two games. That's pretty good. And two in his last one against San Luis. Uh, Gianluco Busio scores in his third straight game as Venezia beat Ternana 1-0. So it was the match winner. They are currently third in Serie B. Kevin Paredes scores against Colón in his first full Bundesliga game. Congratulations to him. He's the U.S. Soccer Young Male Athlete of the Year. Gaga Slonina back-to-back clean sheets. That's awesome. He's on loan from Chelsea to Belgium. Tim Ream coming back into the team as the Fulham captain makes his first appearance since December 3rd, and it was unfortunately a 2-0 loss to Newcastle in the FA Cup. Uh, Chuck, I'm going to come to you. Any Anybody stand out for you in our player pool this past weekend? It's the, the Young Player of the Year, uh, Kevin Paredes. Playing against Cole and getting his first full ninety minutes, uh, he did uh, a tremendous job. I mean, he he not only had the goal, but he was constantly active, using his pace, getting in behind. Uh, it was a nice timing on the run that he scored for the cross. He, he gets in and behind, slips in the, between the right back and the center back, and gets a nice tap in. Um, he had forty nine touches in the game. He was he was you know trying to dribble at his opponents. So for me, this is a big step in his career, getting his first 90 minutes under his belt in the Bundesliga, and then now just trying to continue to build because I think he's going to play an important role this summer uh, at the Olympics. All right. I like that shout a lot. He's a very good player, and his upside is is tremendous. Jesse, I put him on my Copa America roster, baby. That's right. Jesse, who else you got on on your – who stood out for you this weekend? Uh, I, I took Christian. So um, I watched the Milan match and, you know, he hasn't, um, you know, I think I picked him to score 15 goals a few weeks ago um, and I'm hopeful that he can still reach that. But one of the things that, that Christian does really well for the team is he's maybe the most responsible player that they have. He's, he gets up, he runs forward, he gets himself in the box. He, he comes back, he defends, he helps win tackles and he's going up for aerial duels. So the way, you know, I've been at times asking for more out of him because I just believe in him so much as a player. And, you know, when I watch this game, it's still, there's still a lot of little improvements. And I, I think that a lot of the little things that Christian does go unnoticed sometimes. And I, and I, and I think that he plays all the time, not just because of what he's providing the team in the attacking third, but for what he brings into the game overall. So, um, yeah, he had a couple moments where maybe he could have had an assist. He was in the box late a couple of times where if the, if a pass gets played to him, 
I, I still, when I watch Milan, I don't think they get enough guys in the box. I think they're too selfish when they get around the goal. By the way, Milan tied 2-2 against Bologna and missed two penalties in this match. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think they should let Christian take penalties so he can get to 15. I was going to say. <laughs> they keep missing them. Let Christian step up and take them. <laughs> but, but you know, I, again, I just I, – I like Christian so much, and I still believe that even though he's a majorly uh, established player, I still think there's so much room for improvement. But I do like his overall mentality of he wants to win, he wants to help the team, and he's willing to do the dirty work to help get that done. Well, speaking of the dirty work, there's one player that I thought did tremendous – this past week, he came on as a sub for Juventus against Empoli. I'm talking Timo Weah. They had gotten an early red card in this game, Juve. Uh, Milik with a pretty nasty tackle and obviously an uphill battle. And it was 1-1 at this point. And he's playing right back. And Timo Weah, Empoli get on a breakaway. And Timo Weah comes from nowhere and slows the play down and makes a nice tackle on the box. And I'm like, that's what's up. I mean, Timo Weah, not known for this defensive intensity, but Matt made the play in a key moment. So I wanted to give him a shout out in terms of doing some of the thankless dirty work that maybe didn't get noticed and didn't have anything on the other side of the ball per se, but made a key play that ultimately saved the point for Juve, even though they were a man down. However, that is not who I want to highlight. I really want to talk about Brandon Vasquez. I've been thoroughly impressed with how he has made somewhat of a seamless transition from playing with FC Cincinnati, where he wasn't really the key man, especially this particular year for the best team in MLS, well, at least in the regular season. Luciano Acosta, the league MVP, was a little bit more of the focal point. Didn't have the same numbers that he had the previous season in MLS, but he's six foot two, all muscle, this guy, and uh, went down to Monterey. And, and at times, as we talked about Giorena, well, he's changing leagues. There's going to be a transition period, and he has scored three goals in his two starts. His first game, he came off the bench, 22 minutes, didn't have as much impact in that. But since he's made some starts, he's made a tremendous, tremendous impact. And it's so been great to see just how comfortable he looks so quickly into joining a, a top team in Mexico and, and scoring some fantastic goals. And long may that continue. I know they're early on in this particular season down in Mexico, but he's on top of the scoring charts. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. And I think it gives us another option. We've talked about him before, and we've seen him before with the U.S. Men's National Team. But he gives us a different dynamic than maybe we have with some of the other guys. Ricardo Pepe can do some stuff that Brandon Vasquez can do, but not in the same way. Balligan, a little bit of a different player. You have Josh Sargent, who's more of a slasher, getting in behind, doing a lot of running. But there's something about Brandon Vasquez that I think brings a different type of perspective and, and different type of player profile to our team. And if he keeps scoring goals, he's going to be hard for uh, Greg Berhalter to deny. So I, I've been really impressed with, with Vasquez. And, and as our resident number nine, on the show here, call it what you want, Charlie. Uh, your thoughts on Brandon Vasquez? Uh, it's a great shout. One, um, I think in terms of being a big body in the box and and making dynamic runs, he's he's pretty damn good. Um, where he needed to improve the most, and I think when you're talking about the U.S. Men's National Team at that level to be trusted as a striker to be an option, it was the ball at his feet and being a part of the buildup and pressing at the right times, defensive responsibilities, because you, you start the press. And so you make everything else predictable behind you. So tactically and technically in tight spaces, that's where he needed to make the jump. And I think this move helps him with that process. And not only that, you got to stick to being what makes, uh, stick to doing what makes you great as a nine and that's scoring goals. So there couldn't have been a better start for him 
with Monterey Giants in Liga Emekis. They're they're sitting obviously it's early in the season, but they're they're second in the table, 17 matches in. I, I love this move from from Brendan Vasquez and I love how he's he's taking on this this challenge. It's it's a step up from Cincinnati and He's uh, he's showing that he wants to be in the conversation. That's all you can do. Control what you can control, which is putting yourself in difficult environments and working on your game. So uh, that's a great shout uh, for you in terms of Americans abroad. I appreciate you, Charlie. Look at the compliments wow. coming from he's Charlie. He's got your back. He's got, got your my back. back. Appreciate that. So Jesse, I, I with regard with Brandon Vasquez, and we'll use him as somewhat of a symbol with regard to this part of the conversation. How would he have to unseat a full learning Balogun to get into the team? I mean, if he's obviously, if he's scoring game after game after game, you have to start him or because he maybe doesn't fit a Greg Berhalter type system. Like, how do you, how do you find that balance? I guess, if you're a coach with regard to somebody who's red hot, that could help your team, but you don't really play the style to take advantage of what his skill set necessarily is. Yeah. I mean, first I want to compliment Charlie on the way he pronounced Monterey. And Liga Mekis. <laughs> and I don't know if you picked up on my Khadiv. Did you pick up on my Khadiv? Uh, 100%. Now that you said it. 100% I did. I picked up on I don't know. We're multicultural. Yeah. Here. We're multicultural. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, look. Greg needs goal scorers, right? So, and by the way, Balogun hasn't uh, played as much. Uh, he, he didn't play this past weekend. And then he... Um, Uh, played a little bit more on the right uh, the week before that. So, you know, I think there's still room. I think Balogun is the number one striker for sure. And Pepe's establishing himself as well. But if Vasquez goes down to to Mexico and scores a lot of goals, which I think he has potential to do. And one of the things I like about the move is, you know, over time, over the years, there – the, the Mexican league is a, is a highly gifted league, a very technical league, a very fit league, a dynamic league. And, there's been some amazing like big strikers from Hermosillo to Cardozo to different guys that have been there that have scored a bunch of goals. So I think Vasquez has the chance to go down there. And especially now that he's starting starting well with, with his first couple of matches and just start scoring goals by bunches and obviously then making a big impression on, on the possibility of what he could do with the national team. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. I, I think Monterey is a, a great club and a, and, and a good team, and I think he has big potential to do well down there. I, I do. Oh, we got a great question. I do, I great just, question, I do want to add this. Go ahead. Let's not forget, Hercules Gomez went down there and scored a boatload of goals. Just yep. because you score a boatload of goals in Mexico does not mean that you are a number one for the U.S. Women's National Team or a top top notch striker, right? So I, I think you got to put that into context. It's got to be the team that you play in, and how are you developing within that team? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And and how do you add to what the U.S. Women's National Team already have? But we, I think, when we brought him to the World Cup was when he was in the middle of of his Mexico adventure, mm-hmm. right? And one of the reasons we, we brought him was because we said he's – okay, in MLS, he was he was above average. You know, he was better good, than – I'd say good, you know. average to good. <laughs> average to good is what we like to designate here. I, 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 was with, I was with Herc before he left to Mexico. He was with us in Kansas City, and he was with us for 18 months and scored one goal. I would say in fairness to him, we weren't – Putting him in his best spot, he was a little bit farther away from goal, more of an outside midfielder than than being up 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 top and in and around the box, which is where I think he's the most dangerous. But but uh, his output wasn't great when he was with us, so we were all 
stoked for him when he had went on that run. So I can understand why you brought him because he's the hot hand, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's a different kind of league with a different kind of defender. You know, you're playing an MLS sometimes, and if you're a big striker, you're playing against big center backs, big strong center backs, maybe a little slow footed at times. Whoa, Mexican whoa, whoa. Way- yeah, <laughs> I was not Sian. referencing oh you, but since Lord. we are, since we got astray. And by the way, <laughs> oh, man. if we want to talk slow footed, I think I would be the first one to be talked about. Okay, oh, he said Sasquatch. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but you know, Mexico has different kinds of. They're 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 clever. They're intelligent. They're mobile. They're you know, and they're and they're technical technically. Listen, Claudio Suarez can, was not mobile, but man, hell, he was super smart. But anyway, back in the day, back in the day, Claudio was. You know, he was. Yeah, back yeah. we had mannequins as center backs in, in, in MLS, <laughs> and now we have these things called cones in, uh, in to Mexico, and just big giant cones. center backs use both feet. They can they use their brain. <laughs> they talk. Yo, Jimmy, you know. Jimmy Precky Precky used me as center back for one half of one game and i was like what are you doing freck right and i got chopped up by gallardo and he put it in the upper corner and at halftime we were playing three in the back and at halftime Precky said okay jesse's going back in the midfield i was like good call good call oh, I, thought you were, I thought you were gonna say you were the best center back they still had no that was the worst that was the worst oh man oh lord yeah great so i got compared to a cone today i appreciate that That's awesome. <laughs> all right uh well moving on from Americans Abroad, we got some notable upcoming fixtures coming your way. You got Tuesday, Crystal Palace taking on Sheffield United. Saturday's a big one, Ajax versus PSV. Well, I don't know. Ajax isn't as good, but no, uh, PSV, they're on a run, great. Jimmy. I, give them some credit. Okay, all right, what? They have okay, they I'll have not lost on the run. They have not lost in the league since October. Remember, they were in relegation zone. No, so that's true. They, but they, they had nowhere else to go but up. Okay, also there's Monaco versus La Havre. Hopefully, I said that correct. Probably uh, not. Wolfsburg versus Hoffenheim. La Havre. And then uh, a big one, a big one, one that could decide the league in Serie A. Inter is taking on Juventus. Don't want to miss that. That's Sunday, 2.45 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. All right, everybody, it's break time. More Call It What You Want right after this. Welcome back to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy with Chuck and Jesse. And we have a big topic to get into for this part of the show, and it's about our goalkeepers of the U.S. men's national team. Are we in crisis? Because Matt Turner, not looking great and not in force, so much so that the latest news is that Forrest might be looking to get Keeler Navas back, back again? into the team. That's, that's the latest rumor right now, is that they're that desperate that they're looking to go get Keeler Navas, who played with Forrest last year. Not too great i don't think he did that time around uh two clean sheets and i think 20 ish games he ended my premier league coaching at leeds well that sucks you know what we don't want to kill navas he's we don't like him on the show he had a he had a, did he blinder. A, wait, did he have a blinder that game did he have a blinder in game? <laughs> best game in years he had and we lost one nil absurd we should have won that how many game. how many and, and excuse me Kaylor navas how many how many do he had a blinder that game he made a ton of saves yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you say oh, yeah. trigger? He, he, you said Kaler. Jesse went. Yeah, yeah. Did you see I, my eyes twitching? <laughs> <laughs> he, he stood on his head for ninety minutes. First half. First half. I think we outshot them ten to one, and we and he had he he made like three ridiculous saves. We should have been. We should. Yeah, have, I, I remember. I remember the game. I really Nottingham Forest shouldn't have even been in the match. But well, well, yeah. Forrest, we're also looking at another goalkeeper from RB Leipzig, who I think you crossovered with as well, in, in a different way, uh, Peter Galachi, and 
RB Leipzig has said they are not going to let him go. So that is good news for Matt Turner fans and Matt Turner in particular. Uh, talk to us about Galachi. That would have been a good signing. Huh? He's a good player. Pete Galachi is a very good goalkeeper and he's a, he's, he's good in all phases of the game and incredibly te- intelligent. So he's, he's a very, very, very good goalkeeper, but I don't think we're, I don't think Matt Turner's in a crisis situation. I think it's good for him to be at a difficult place in the Premier League. And obviously, he's he's not playing for the best team in the league. So it's not going to be so easy for him at all levels to establish himself. The key for him is to just try to create more stable performances, right? Some of the mistakes obviously put more pressure on himself and the team. Um, and they can create this dialogue and maybe even not, who knows how, how serious this dialogue is about the club going out and getting a goalkeeper. Um, but Nottingham Forest is kind of always going to be in a situation where they're fighting to keep their head above water. And, and when you're the goalkeeper of a team like that, it's not an easy task. But if he can stabilize himself, mature, continue to develop, this can also be a place where he can he can grow and continue to, to get better. And, and that can ultimately benefit the U.S. national team. So, you know, he's already been through moments where they took him out and put him back in. And that's a little bit of what it will be like to always be at Nottingham Forest until they ever learn to establish themselves as a mid-table team in the Premier League. Well, he got a clean sheet, Chuck, in the FA Cup against Bristol City. Didn't have to make any significant saves in that one. I'm sure that was a relief in some capacity. But uh, 16 games for him for Forrest this season, 1,440 minutes, two clean sheets, including this one against Bristol City, 70% save percentage. Now, I think what's interesting about the stats that we're digging up, he has the second worst, and uh, bear with me here. This is quite the mouthful. He has the second worst post-shot expected goals against minus goals allowed. Yeah, do the math on that, everybody. In the Premier League at minus five. Only Brentford's Mark Flecken is worse at minus 8.8. Yeah, Flecken. All I, all I, I mean, we, we can say whatever we want. Apparently, that's a stat that people are paying attention to, and he's the second worst in the Premier League, Chuck. Yeah. It, <laughs> let's just say, in hindsight, this wasn't a great move to leave Arsenal for Nottingham Forest, given that, you know, this is a team that's going to— It's better he's playing, though, yeah, than not playing. Yeah. Like I said, hindsight to look back and go, oh, you're leaving a team that's competing in Champions League and competing for the English Premier League title to go to a Nottingham Forest that, you know, the quality drops drastically. And all of a sudden, you know, you're 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 going to be blamed for a lot of the issues because your your bottom line, your back line isn't that strong. And so you throw in losing key parts for African Cup of Nations with this group. It's it. there's a when you lose two or three solid players in your starting 11 plus injuries then all of a sudden it goes from competing to surviving and and i think the mistakes he's made it just compiles onto the pressure that they already have and so you have to have a blame cooper got axed and next thing it's it's matt, matt turner and goal we all know he's a great kid we all know he's a great He's a he's a great shot stopper. He's one of the when he is on form, in form, confident. He's one of the best goalkeepers we have that we've seen in a while. So, I think yes, he just needs to get back to being consistent and and not getting in his head because I think that's where we're seeing Matt Turner is everything is is nervous when the ball comes back to his feet. You know, is he making the right pass? Does he play long? Does he play short? Um, is he short the ball? I just feel like there's a lot of all these questions and, and he's lost a little bit of the focus. And what's interesting too, and I, with regard to 
what he's very good at. So the things he's not good at that have been highlighted or, or I mean, in the spotlight ultimately for this is his lack of ability with his feet, his comfortability with his feet. He has the second most airs leading to goals in the Premier League, Jesse. And, and I just think there's room now for somebody to potentially challenge him for that number one spot. He's been excellent for us. There's, there's no question there. But, but when it comes to club form, it's been a little bit uneven. It's probably the best way to say it. So Ethan Horvath is also at Forest. He's not playing. Probably should go out on loan. And then you have Zach Steffen coming back into Colorado Rapids. Uh, from what I understand, his knees aren't great. So we'll see what he looks like moving forward. And then and then what? We have Drake Callender and, nope. and Celentano and Drake Callender Schulte. is even further down the list than Schulte because Schulte got the start in January camp. And exactly, so. exactly right. So so it it for the first time in a long time, it feels like we have some uncertainty in a position that's been such a lock for us for so many years. I, I wouldn't consider Matt Turner an uncertainty. I think his performances with the national team have been very good. So I think he's pretty well established. But I do think it's very key for Ethan Horvath to go out on loan and get some games. And, and you know, if if he can perform well, then he can make a case for himself to come into camp and at least compete and, 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 and push Matt Turner a little bit. So, you know, this is often, of course, we want our number one guy. But I often think like what made Casey Keller so good was Brad Friedel and vice versa, right? Is they knew right, that right. they had to be performing at a high level because if they weren't, there was a chance that they were going to slip out of the position with the U.S. national team. That's always – this is what I was saying before about internal competition. So, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Matt, Matt needs to simplify his game and play to his strengths, all right? Yes. So they, they, playing out of – like just clear balls out. You know, and I in and, and obviously there are a lot of goalkeepers in the modern game. They like to play. They like to to have the ball at their feet. They like to move around the box and try to be clever with some of their positioning. If you're playing for Barcelona, if you're playing for Man City, these these themes and, and tactical nuances are incredibly important. If you're playing for Nottingham Forest, that is not. Get the ball away, play simple. Don't make mistakes and play to your strengths. Play within your wheelhouse. And if Matt Turner does that, I think he can show that he's a quality goalkeeper. Jimmy, I want to throw this out there too. Mm-hmm. You, you, you mentioned Matt Turner going to Arsenal versus maybe staying in MLS playing with Revolution and you know being the best goalkeeper in MLS for the rest of his career. My thing would be, wouldn't you want him to go test his, his ability and be pushed in, in order to grow? Because it's very easy. He could have just stayed with the Revs and signed the best goalkeeper contract in Major League Soccer history and stay there for the rest of his career. But then then I would ask you, is he still getting pushed? Yeah, he's he's given playing time. It's, it's guaranteed versus go play for the second best team in the Premier League. Go play in a couple of Champions League matches. Go test yourself in training every single day. And you're, it's not going to be all roses. You're not going to play. You, some days you'll play, sometimes you won't. You're going to be judged on every mistake. I'd rather that than the, the ah, put my feet up. I'll, I'll be at training. I'll be at training when, <laughs> yeah, when I'm there. See, of see, course. see of tomorrow, course. coach. Absolutely. I, well, what I, what I find interesting about that is that that's what the player will do would do. I mean, obviously Matt Turner has cut his teeth trying to get better every day. So I, I get that you go to, if you came back to MLS and you had that where you weren't being pushed, there's that external motivation, I suppose. And you can feel that pressure that the pressure that you're talking about. I do think this is better for him. He's, he's going to have to fight through this. He's going to get thicker skin. Him 
having that mental fortitude in tough moments is going to be incredibly important for the U.S. this summer and in 2026. So the more that he can cut his teeth figuring out how to solve those and to stay as, as emotionally steady as he can to continue to make plays, even if things aren't going well, is only going to serve him mm-hmm. and going to serve the team moving forward. So I'm all about that. Well but, said, Jimmy. Well said. Thank you. But I, 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 I just obviously I want these guys not to have competition, but yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I, I just don't want to. I hate seeing our guys make fine. mistakes. He'll I hate be fine. Our guys make mistakes. It bumps. He'll me. be fine. He'll be fine. He will be fine. He'll be, fine. He'll be better yeah, for I, it. I yes. went from coach to dad Absolutely. very quickly there, but I, uh, <laughs> but uh, Jimmy, yeah, yeah. dad, I, Conrad, Jimmy, that's it. Well, no, I'm a cone slow right footed, I'm, slow I'm a footed dad, dad uh, slow footed cone. Dad. Again, is there's average to good and then there's <laughs> dad to, to average. Dad. Jimmy con dad, Jimmy cone, dad, whatever you guys want to call me. It doesn't matter. We're going to take our next break. When we come back, we have a special story with Jesse Marsh story time with Jesse Marsh about his uh, relationship or his time, or I don't even know what we're going to see, but it's about Jurgen Klopp. And I'm going to sit here and eat some popcorn and listen to it. So don't go anywhere. So for our final thoughts of Call It What You Want for this show, we're going to hand it over to the one and only Jesse Marsh, who's got a little story about his time with Jurgen Klopp, who just made his big announcement that he's leaving Liverpool. Take it away, Jesse. Yeah, so, you know, I've gotten to know Jurgen a little bit. It's not like I have him in my phone or we're f- friends. We've always been friendly and he's always um, been open for different conversations. And, you know, the fact that I speak German and, and we've played against each other a few times, you know, it's meant that we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you saw, but he he referenced that manager's age in dog years. <laughs> so I know how that feels, right? And this is about uh, sort of, you know, so, uh, feeding into that. So we play at Anfield uh, with Leeds. We wind up winning the match. You know, after the, after the game, I'm actually relieved. That's, that's the way it feels a lot of times after you win matches. And when you lose, it, 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 it eats you inside. And, and you're just trying to figure out ways how to personally deal with those moments and then how to help your team deal with it in the moments when, when you're disappointed. Um, you know, and so our team was celebrating and I was kind of back in the corner in the physio room and just kind of sitting and I did my press conference and I saw him quickly. Uh, he had finished his press conference, then I did mine quickly after. And then we went and everyone was euphoric around our club. And I went and back to the dressing room and, and grabbed my stuff. And then and I was walking out with one of the assistants and, and Jurgen came out right before me. And, and I'd been to Anfield a few times and it's a really nice t- tunnel kind of where they where you where you come from where you park your cars to then when you go out to the pitch they have a lot of nice imagery they have some really good quotes they have a lot of the trophies that they've won over the years and obviously the history of a club like like Liverpool is so massive and Jurgen comes right out and he just looks down and he I mean he doesn't say anything to me and he kind of goes I don't even think he sees me he's just in his own world and he walks out with his head down and his hat's pulled down low and he walks by uh, players, he walks by staff, he walks by the parking people, and he just doesn't say a word. And he just marches himself out and goes to his car. And, you know, I, what I thought at that time is being, you know, here he is, the manager of Liverpool, and he's had great success, and he's done so many important things within our game in world football. But, you know, being a manager, it's, it's the loneliest job in the world really is. And there's, 
I've often had to remind myself like, okay, I've got to invest in my staff and believe in them and believe in the team and believe in the people in the club because in the toughest moments you feel absolutely alone. And so, you know, it was funny for me to almost feel bad for Jurgen at that time um, because I, I, I associate with that feeling. Um, I, I don't, I have no idea what it would be like to be Jurgen Klopp, but even the best managers and the best people in this business, I think, go through really tough moments. And in those tough moments, you know, you, you, you just think about your family, you think about the people you love and you kind of want to escape. And so when I saw the, the announcement, um, it saddened me, you know, because, because I know in the end, probably the reason that he's doing it is because those moments, they, they add up and they make, doing the job effectively and being yourself and enjoying, enjoying the job. Very, very difficult. So um, I'm very thankful for the, for, for getting to know him a little bit. I'm very thankful for the football he plays and the things I've learned from his teams for the opportunity to play against him and, and, and have some of the best matches that I've seen my teams play have been against Jurgen Klopp. And I think because Someone like that in the game always brings the best out of people. Um, so, you know, congratulations, Jurgen, on an incredible career. I think you have an amazing chance to 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 win the league this year, and I'm rooting for you, and I and I hope the best for you. So, yeah. Jesse Marsh, everybody, very well said. I, I don't shed, think anybody can pick it up after that. So we're going to call it a show. Thank you for listening and watching as always. And uh, we really appreciate everybody behind the scenes for everything that they're doing to make us look better than we deserve to be. So that is it. Call it what you want is finished. It is done for this week. And we'll see you very, very soon. Thanks for listening.